Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys this weekend. It's an honor for me to be with you. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I'm the campus pastor here at the Long Point campus and want to thank you guys for worshiping with us. Uh, and being with us this weekend. Especially want to welcome those of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. We're glad that you are here as well. Uh, maybe you're in the chapel or uh, on the internet as well. We're glad that you are along for the ride as well. It's going to be a fun weekend. I am um, always humbled and um, just incredibly grateful for the, the chance to, to share for a couple minutes with you guys. I told you guys at the Long Point campus at least, uh, I've got a couple of kids. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old boy named Miles, and I've got a seven-month-old uh, little girl. And a couple days ago... Uh, Lisa had to go into work early, and so I had the kids in the morning and uh, was getting ready, getting ready. There was a babysitter going to come, and uh, I had Greta Kate, my seven-month-old girl, in, in my room with me while, as I was kind of finishing up getting ready and left my son out in the living room uh, and put a movie on for him to watch. Um, that's great parenting right there for you. Just take a note. Um, so about a couple minutes into it, um, I just had this feeling that uh, you parents know the feeling that I'm talking about, like something's going on. Uh, you need to go check on your, your son. And so I listened to it, and I went out into the living room, and he was no longer on the couch. He was actually, we've got a little um, a ledge in our kitchen, uh, and I could see him in the kitchen, and he was about my height. Um, and so I'm thinking, this is not good, this is not normal. And so I walked around the little ledge, and he had pulled uh, one of our dining room chairs uh, into the kitchen and next to the countertop, and he was standing on top of that chair. And as I walked around the corner, uh, we've got this little jar of... Um, Splenda, you know, the sweetener stuff next to the coffee maker. And he had dumped that jar, and there was Splenda all over the, all over the floor, all over the counter. So I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of normal for us. We'll clean it up and figure it out. So I start cleaning it up, and Miles takes off running. Uh, and I didn't think much about it, but then I heard a door slam, and I thought, okay, something's going on. So I got up, and I followed him in, and I went into his room, opened the door, and there's no one in his room. It's dead quiet. And so I'm looking around, and I hear this little rustling paper coming from the closet area. And so I go in, and I, I open the closet doors, and here's my little two-and-a-half-year-old son, and he's got a, a Hershey kiss, and he had gotten the wrapper off, and he had the kiss, and he's getting ready to put it in his mouth. And so I snatch it out of his hand, and I'm thinking, I want to just break out laughing because this is really fun. I mean, it's premeditated uh, sin right here. This is not like I <laughs> slipped into it. This is... And I, I see there's, there's chocolate kind of running down his face. So this was not the first one. Um, I didn't even know there was candy in that jar. But somehow he had in, information that there was candy at the bottom of the jar. So I'm thinking, how do I, how do I discipline here? Well, immediately the words of my, my wife came ringing into my head. And it's a constant reminder for her uh, with Miles that, listen, we do not eat candy at, in the morning. You know, we may have a, a treat in the afternoon, but we don't eat candy in the morning. It's just, you know... Uh, something that, that she's gone over and over with him. And so I thought, okay, I, I don't need to give him this candy. So I took the candy and uh, I threw it away and I, I disciplined him. But I was thinking about, about that. And, and the reason that I, I, I took the candy, even though everything in me wanted to kind of, I mean, he worked hard for it. I thought you probably, <laughs> very, very subtle, subtle deal. But I wanted to protect the unity uh, in, my, in my marriage and in our parenting. Uh, how many of you guys know unity is a big deal? Uh, even in the small things, especially if you have if you have kids, unity is such an important thing. Uh, groups of people, small groups of people, have united around an issue, maybe around a cause or around a common enemy or something. Anything uni- that unites a small group of people, they can they can do major things, accomplish a lot. Uh, unity unity is a huge huge deal. Have you guys ever been a part of a team or a part of a family where disunity 
seeped in and caused division in a team or in a relationship. Have you guys ever experienced that? Uh, maybe it is in, in your home and may, maybe your parents. A lot of times it, it surfaces with in-laws, you know, where you, you have division between in-laws. Uh, we like to spend time at, at my parents' house. Um, and uh, a lot of times we'll go over there and Miles, they've got a little candy candy jar. This is where he got the obsession with candy is because Papa Greg, uh, you know him as Pastor Greg. Miles knows him as Papa Greg. Uh, he's got a little candy drawer and Miles will grab the candy and what he would do is he first he would go to mom and say, Mommy, can I have this candy, little bag of candy corns? And she would say, no, we're getting ready to eat or whatever it is. And, and so then he'd go, come to me, and then he'd go to Papa, Grandma, Uncle. He'd kind of circle the room, and eventually he would find a chink in the unity. Uh, and, and someone would give him the candy. And so we said, hey, we got a problem here, guys. We, we want to really be on the same page. So let's just all have the same answer when he comes in the future with, with the candy question. And the answer is... Ask your mother. And so we are all on the same page with that. But what he's doing, and if you have parents and if, if you, you know what he was doing, he was kind of, he's looking for, for just a slight bit, a subtle amount of disunity uh, so that he can get his way. And it's a small deal and it's not the end of the world if somebody does it. But what happens when, when unity is broken is all of a sudden now the parents are set against the, the grandparents and they're going, why are, you, why are you usurping my authority? Why are you, you know? And all of a sudden you've got kind of a little division and conflict that comes in through disunity. So, so let's talk a little bit about, about, about disunity. You guys have experienced it in, in your workplace. Uh, maybe there's a, a dispute or a disagreement with a, a boss or a supervisor and all of a sudden some gossip starts happening and some, you start you know, building a, a team together against your, your boss and all of a sudden you have disunity in your workplace. Have you experienced that before? Uh, it happens, of course, in marriages all the time. I'm convinced that uh, marriages don't fail because of outside um, circumstances. You know, I've seen couples get through just about the worst circumstances in the world when they unite together and, and work through it. But when there's disunity between a couple, it almost always ends badly. It happens with roommates. Uh, those of you that have had room, ever ever had roommate situations with more than uh, two people, uh, you get you know you're at the house and your roommate's talking trash about your other roommate who's not there, and then when you're not there, they're talking trash about you, and all of a sudden there's sort of this roommate battle going on. A lot of you guys have experienced that. Sports teams, it happens all the time. Can you say Terrell Owens with me? You guys familiar with that? Terrell Owens is uh, you know when he was with the Eagles. Uh, threw his quarterback under the bus, Donovan McNabb, on public TV. And not long after that, uh, the Eagles got rid of him because he's great talent, but they understood that disunity will destroy a healthy team. So what do we do when there's an attack on unity? This weekend, we're going to look at a story from Acts. We're in a series called Compelled. And uh, <coughs> if you're here for the first time, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts for the last several months. And uh, this weekend, we're in Acts chapter 15. So if you have a Bible or maybe an iPhone, smartphone, you may want to open that up. If you don't, we have an outline sheet that you got when you came in. You can kind of follow along. But uh, we're coming onto the scene of a, uh, a situation that happened in Acts chapter 15 that had the potential to cause major disunity in the church. You guys remember in Acts 14 last weekend, we talked about uh, some people outside of the church that got upset with the church and they stoned, uh, stoned the leaders of the church. But in that, the church kind of united together and, and they got through it. It was, it was a tough thing, but they got through it. Uh, this, this weekend is a situation where there's some conflict that's kind of uh, bubbling up from within the church and the church leaders had to figure out how to handle it. Hopefully in looking at this, we can learn some things about how to protect the unity in our relationships and our marriages and our, our work environments and all of that. So let's jump in. Uh, Acts 15, verses 1 through 5. 
Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled uh, through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news had made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So what's happening here? The church is kind of growing. And how many of you know nothing will, will kind of stunt or stifle church growth like adult male circumcision, right? <laughs> so, so this issue kind of comes up. And just for context, uh, you know, Christianity came out of, out of Judaism. I mean, it, it came out of Ju- Jewish roots. And so a lot of the early converts to Christianity were Jewish. And so they kind of had these value systems and uh, these, these ideals that they adhered to. And so the church began with those guys. And then, as you guys remember, maybe in Acts chapter 11, we talked about Cornelius and how he was a Gentile and the Holy Spirit kind of descended upon his home. Uh, the Gentiles then begin converting to Christianity. So the church is all of a sudden explosively growing uh, with these Gentile converts. And so you have Jews and, and Gentiles trying to kind of coexist and live together. And the Jewish, Jewish believers had, had um, some concerns about that. Uh, some of their concerns were probably that, that the gospel might get watered down with all these new Gentile converts who maybe didn't have the same values, didn't have the same uh, belief systems, might, might water it down. A legitimate concern. If you ever read the, the letters that Paul sent uh, to some of the Gentile churches, you know, they, they were dealing with some crazy stuff. You know, these, these believers didn't have, they were pagans basically when they came, came to the Lord. And so they were having to th- figure some things out. So the Jews, Jews had a, Jewish believers had a legitimate concern the problem came in and how they decided to solve the problem. Their solution was, let's make everyone Jewish. Let's make everyone Jewish, right? I mean, we, we need to protect this. The, the best way to fix this problem is force them to become Jewish too. They, they said, we'll just make everyone be circumcised. And that can be a rather awkward and troubling decision for adult males to make. Uh, and so all of a sudden, there's a problem. I mean, there's, there's this question. We've got to figure this thing out. And I'm convinced, guys, that if, if they didn't resolve this question properly, as I was studying the scripture, going, why is this even in here? What, what's, what's the deal? If they didn't resolve this, we probably wouldn't be here today. Because Christianity would have become just another sect of, of Judaism, and, and we, we would all be pagans. Now, a lot of you are pagans anyways, and I understand that, but all of us would be pagans. So how, how do they handle this? Let's, let's jump into how, the, how, how they figured out. The first thing we need to learn, I think, in, in looking at this story is, is that we have to recognize everyone won't always agree on everything. Everyone will not always agree on everything. And most of the time, that is okay. Most of the time, that's okay. I can have community. I can have relationship with people that I don't agree with. You know, when I first started dating Lisa, I, I came upon some troubling uh, information about her and her family. They were all Florida Gator graduates and, fa- and, and fans. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to work. You know, I mean, how, how can we do this? And uh, obviously we have many, many differences in, in how we were raised and came up, but, but we can still have great relationship and great community in spite of the fact that we don't agree on a lot of things. And frankly, um, I'm going to lose the respect of a lot of you guys, but I've kind of become a little bit of a closet Gator fan. Uh, Tim Tebow, he's just a great, great guy. So, but, but we don't have to agree on everything, right? 
Disagreement isn't, isn't an attack on community uh, necessarily. If you lead an organization or if you lead a family, uh, just because the people in your, in your family or organization don't always agree with you doesn't mean they're, they're trying to, to attack the unity uh, of your relationship. Uh, in fact, most of us work, work with and for people that we, we oftentimes disagree with. Uh, so disagreement's not always, not always a bad thing. What if I disagree with the decision that my leader has made? Uh, Mac Lake, one of our teaching pastors, writes a blog. It's MacLakeOnline.com, and he had a great post uh, last week about how to protect uh, and be loyal to your leader and to your organization, even when you don't agree with some of the decisions that they're making. I want to share a couple of the highlights of that. It was just good stuff. Uh, this will speak to some of you guys. He said, speak positively about your leader and organization at all times. It's great, great value. Whether you agree or disagree with, with the decision they're making, talk positively about them. Uh, he said, when you disagree with the decision or the direction of the organization, speak only with those who have the authority to represent your concern. In other words, don't gossip with other employees and kind of create a faction. That's where division comes in. Talk to the person that can, can do something about it. Use your interpersonal skills to build team unity rather than building a personal following. That's good. Are, are you seeking loyalty to yourself? Or are you supporting the loyalty of the organization and, and, and uh, of your leader? Something that all of us have, have a tendency possibly to slip into. Be an asset to your organization by demonstrating a positive attitude even in the tough times. How many know when the ship is sinking, it's easy to start complaining? When stuff starts going, going south, it's easy to kind of be, become a, a complainer. And be an asset by having a positive attitude even when things aren't going well. He said express gratitude for the positive characteristics of your leader and your organization. You'll stand out. The truth is that uh, the work culture that we live in is often created by our attitudes and the attitudes of the employees. So we can do something about that. We can, we can in spite of disagreements, we can, we can still remain loyal to, to our organization uh, or our family. And those principles apply in our family too. There may be some of us that uh, as, as you're dealing with this unity issue, you just need to go to your boss and you need to say it out loud and say, hey, I know we may not have agreed on this particular issue, but you got to know I'm behind you 100%. Uh, I'm supportive of you 100%. I'm, I'm sorry for uh, maybe you've, you've not handled it in the right way. That, that may be just all you need to hear this weekend. Or maybe in your marriage, in your, your relationships, your friendships, you may go, hey, we, we've, we've been disagreeing on some things, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. you know, I'm standing by you. We're not, this, this is not going to dissolve this relationship. We don't always agree on everything, but sometimes it's bigger than just a di- disagreement, right? I mean, sometimes there are issues that really need a lot of discussion. When that happens, we have to get the issue on the table. The second thing is get the issue on the table. <coughs> How many know disunity does the most damage when it's left alone? You know, it kind of, kind of festers and, and, and gets bigger and bigger and more people get involved in it. And it's one of the biggest mistakes I think leaders make is by not letting the issues get on the table. And in our marriages, we, we kind of we leave it alone and let it kind of bubble up and, and build up. Look at verse 2. It, again, it says, Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. These guys realize that the issue at hand is serious. I mean, this is a big deal. We need to, we need to figure this thing out. It threatened the core foundation of the church. So they appointed some leaders and they had a meeting to get the issues on the table. Sometimes the, the healthiest thing that, that we can do, that you can do for your marriage is to go, hey, let's take a time out. And let's get the issue on the table. You know, let, let's talk about this. Let's, let's put it on the table. I know as men, uh, sometimes we just like to, 
jump immediately to fixing the problem without necessarily even knowing what the issue... I've been in fights with my wife where I thought the issue was one thing and it was not, not actually the same thing. You guys have been there, right? Got to take the time to, to just, hey, what, what is the issue? You know, let's put it on the table. Huge. Two questions in doing that. First is what, obvious one is, what is the issue? You know, asking that question verbally. That's why we do premarital, counsel, premarital counseling at Seacoast. Uh, I, we've been accused maybe of trying to start fights in premarital counseling. That's not the case at all, uh, most of the time. Um, but why do we do that? Why do we, why do we encourage couples as they're dating to, to come in and, and get some premarital counseling? It's because we want to hopefully surface some issues that may not have been discussed. When I do premarital counseling, I love to do, I call it 20 questions and, and just pepper the, the couple with questions, partially so I can get to know them and hear some of their story if, if I don't already have a, a close relationship, but also to hopefully surface some issues. You know, when I throw out there, hey, how many kids do you guys plan on having? And the, the guy goes, kids? I, I, I'm, I'm cool with her. I don't think I want to do that whole kids thing. And she goes, hey, the Duggars are my heroes. I'm thinking 12, 13, you know. <laughs> cool, let's talk about it. Let's get the issue on the table. It's not always a deal breaker, but you just want to surface the issues. Uh, one of the questions sometimes I'll ask is, hey, how much consumer debt are you guys each bringing into the, to the relationship? Because it's important to kind of know where we stand financially. And I've seen guys turn like a shade of white I've never seen going, dude, I didn't know you were going to go there, bud. Back off. That big truck I got ain't paid for. So, but that's okay. Let's put the issues on the table. Sometimes I'll ask, uh, what do you struggle with the most about your fiancé's personality? I'm just trying to start a fight when I ask that question. I, I probably shouldn't even do that. But, but we cover all kinds of issues, you know, spiritual, uh, family issues. The, the, the goal of premarital counseling is to get the issue on the table. Are you willing to do the hard work of getting an issue on the table? Sometimes that means pushing the wedding date back a couple of months so that we can really work this thing out and get it on the table. Sometimes it means calling a special meeting at work with your supervisor and it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation, but you really need to put an issue on the table. In this case in Acts, I mean, this, this disrupted the life of the church. You know, this was, a, this was a very inconvenient thing to get the issue on the table. It wasn't like they just, you know, hopped on the a flight and, and, and it was a one day deal. They had to travel. They had to take time out. The work of the ministry had to, had to slow down and stop, but they, they knew they needed to get the issue on the table. And I found in my marriage, if, if I don't get the issue on the table, then the issue becomes my spouse. You know what I'm talking about? And, and all of a sudden it's a battle between who's going to win. It's man against woman and, and we're fighting each other. Uh, when we don't put the issue on the table. But if we have the issue on the table, then we can unite and go, okay, let's fix the issue. I may be contributing most of the problem to the issue, but we can still unite and get it solved. And my work, if, if I don't get the issue on the table, then, then the enemy becomes my boss instead of the issue. Uh, so we have to do the hard work of, of, of getting the issue on the table. And the second question that we ask once we've kind of identified the issue, is this issue essential or non-essential to community? Is this issue essential or non-essential to community. See, I'm convinced that all of our issues and beliefs fit into a couple of different categories. Uh, I believe on one hand we have essentials, and these, these convictions and beliefs are, are essential to community. We have to agree on these things in order to have a relationship with each other. Then all, all of us have convictions. These are things that we're convinced about, uh, we've researched, we have strong feelings about, but at the end of the day, if you and I don't see it the same way, we can be okay. I mean, a conviction might be um, uh, politics. You know, uh, a lot of us will 
have strong opinions about politics and how the government ought to be run. And, and you, may, you may feel strong, and that's, that's good. That's good to do due diligence and research these things. Um, how about uh, eating habits? There are a lot of us that are, you know, you got vegetarians, and they've done research, and they do it that way because that's, that's, that's what they really feel is the best. Then you've got people who say, if it's brown, shoot it down and let's eat it. Come on. <coughs> that's okay. I kind of adhere to that one a little bit. But uh, we can have community. You know, I've got great friends that are on both sides of that issue. In my life right now, uh, parenting is, is one of these conviction uh, issues. You know, I had no idea uh, that how and when you feed your, your infant is, is such a huge deal. And there are people that, that say, man, it should be parent-directed feeding. And there are some people that say, you know what, uh, you should feed a child. It's a demand feeding, different philosophies. You know what, we can, we can agree to disagree on things like that. You know, I mean, it's, it's something you should, you should make a stand on. You should decide for your home how you're going to raise your children. Uh, but just because a friend doesn't do it the same way you do, it's not worth breaching relationship. And then, of course, all of us have uh, the category I would call them preferences. You know, I mean, for example, uh, I'm a Clemson fan uh, because I serve the Lord. And, um, <laughs> but that's a preference, right? I mean, Clemson, Carolina... Um, a lot of you move this thing right over here into the essentials, and that's not a good thing. Um, but there are all kinds of preferences. You know, um, what's your favorite color? What, what team do you cheer for? Um, all kinds of different things that could fit into preferences. And these things should not cause a breach in our relationships, right? I mean, we, we, we should be able to disagree on these issues and not have a problem with our relationships. Now, um, in the essential category, there are some things that are worth fighting for. In my marriage, one of our convictions is that we should have a date night uh, relatively consistently, once a week or so. Sometimes it doesn't happen. That's okay. We get by. Uh, We do not date other people in our marriage. That is an essential. So um, monogamy is a pretty big deal for my marriage. We can't disagree. We can't agree to disagree on this particular issue. You're not going to have a healthy relationship uh, if we disagree on that, right? So here's the deal with these, these categories. With the essentials, the longer the list, the tendency is that the group will be smaller. It will probably be a little bit more pure because you all agree on the same things, right? Uh, But it will have a tendency towards legalism. It's just the natural deal. If you have a a list of core values in your organization and your church and your family that is five pages long, uh, you're probably going to have a smaller group of people that see it. All, everyone sees it eye to eye. Again, it'll be pure, uh, but it might be a little bit suffocating and legalistic, potentially. If you have no, no essential beliefs, uh, no core values, anybody can be a part of the group, uh, but it's going to be chaotic and confusing because there's nothing really to stand on. There's not a foundation to stand on. And then in the middle, if you've got kind of a, a short list of essentials, and again, these two things, convictions, preferences, we can have community and disagree on. These are things we've got to all be on the same page on. If you have a short list of these essentials, you probably can have a larger group. It might be a little bit messy because you have different viewpoints and different you know, uh, perspectives coming in, but it will also probably be characterized by freedom. <coughs> How does this play out on a church? First of all, this may be a cool grid for you guys to to run your values through in your organization, if you lead an organization, in your family. Uh, it may be good to go, hey, let's, let's talk about this because here's what happens. Convictions and preferences tend to try to seep their way into the essentials category. 
and then all of a sudden you're you're breaching a friendship you're ending a marriage you're ending a relationship because an issue that's not really all that essential necessarily has become essential so it may be worth running running your your values and your your beliefs through those that grid uh some of you are single and you've created a maybe a, a list either in your head or you've, you've written it down about what i'm looking for in a potential spouse and you may want to run it through that grid because if your list is, is way long, you may be the only person that fits that list and it might be why you're still single. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But if there's some core convictions, which you should have, uh, and it's a positive, healthy thing, it'll, it'll help you in, in kind of determining where to go. How does it play out in our church? We kind of adhere to the big tent, uh, small core values. And, and we have, we have a, a small number of essential beliefs that we believe all of us need to be on the same page on. Uh, I'm going to hit a couple of them. If you go to newcomers, we, we give you some more information about that. But a couple of, <coughs> couple of the essentials at Seacoast Church. Number one, the sole basis for our belief is the Bible. The sole basis for our belief is the Bible. Uh, we believe that the Bible is, is uniquely God-inspired, without error, and it's the final authority on anything in which it talks about. So if, 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 we, if we're discussing an issue that the Bible is just very black and white clear on, then, then that's it. I mean, it may not make sense to us. It may not, it, it, we may not understand it entirely, but, but we believe the Bible is, is the final authority on anything it speaks on. I think that's important. Another core value that we have, another essential, is that we are sinners and separated by God. We are all sinners and we're separated by God. God is perfect. God is a creator. He designed us to have a relationship with him, but early on we sinned. And in that sin, we cause division and separation from God. And, and, and that's just a, a really important core value for us, uh, that we recognize where we come from and where our standing is apart from Jesus, which is our third conviction, is that Jesus Christ died on a cross to bear our sin. We believe if, if you talk to any one of our staff or pastors, we're going to be on the same page on these issues. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we could have a relationship with God. He, he came, he lived a, a perfect life, sinless. He died on a cross and he rose three days later. And in doing so, he took our sin upon him so that we can have relationship with God. That is the gospel. That is essential to, to our beliefs and our core values. <coughs> Let me say this. There's probably some of you that are here today and you may not be on the same page with some of these things. And that's, that's okay. We're, we welcome you. Uh, Seacoast has always been a church where, where we hope that you would feel comfortable coming here. And what I'm saying about these essentials is at some point, if you're going to get involved, if, you, if you're going to lead, if you're going to, if you're going to have an active role in the church, we're going to ask you to come into, into alignment on these essential beliefs. Uh, a fourth one is that the Holy Spirit compels believers to do the work of the ministry. The Holy Spirit compels believers to do the work of the ministry. Why is that an essential? The first three are, are kind of belief systems that we have. This is saying, hey, our, our job is not just to, to believe. Our job is to be compelled to do the work of the ministry. Uh, we, we are we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the God left us as 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 His uh, mouthpiece and and hands and feet to to serve and love our community and and to to present the gospel in the best way that we can. Um, that's His strategy. So he, God compels us. The Holy Spirit compels us to do the work. That's why we are so excited about what's happening at the Dream Center uh, and in, in our campuses and our small groups as we get involved in serving the community and loving people and doing it in the name of Christ and sharing Christ with them. That's, that's a core value and a conviction of Seacoast. And there are several more. Now, we have several things that, that are convictions, but not necessarily essentials. Um, we believe that women have a, 
every ability to lead in the church and to use their gifts as leaders in the church. Um, there's a lot of dispute on this, this issue. We've, we've searched the scriptures. We've tried to take in the whole counsel of, of, of the Lord, and we've, we've made a decision that we feel like the, the Bible supports that. You may not agree with that. That's okay. We can agree to disagree on that issue. Sometimes issues like that try to seep into the essentials, and that's what church is split over, uh, non-essential issues. We've decided in our essentials we're going to have unity. We're going to be on the same page. In the non-essential beliefs, we're going to have liberty and, and freedom. Uh, we have opinions on how the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit should be, be played out in the church and be utilized in the church. Uh, you may not see that same way we do. That's okay. We can agree to disagree on, but we, we have convictions about many, many different things. We also have preferences. When you walked in, you saw a certain color of paint on the walls and you, you know, a certain style of music and uh, a lot of things that are just preferences. And uh, there's room for obvious discussion and, 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 um, and, and, and talk about it. And, and we can agree to disagree on a, on a lot of things. Most things we can agree to disagree on. But there are some things that are essential for us to have community. I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful for a church leadership that saw early on that, you know, we're not going to let this church split over a non-essential belief. We're going we're gonna to define what they are and we're going to be united around these things. And, and this church is just not going to split over, over anything that, um, that it shouldn't be. And I think that's, that wisdom has protected us in a lot of different areas. So one of the biggest challenges in leadership, not only in the church, but in your family and at your work is, is to keep the conviction creep from happening. You know, everyone has their convictions and, and, and we, we deal with it all the time at the church as, as leadership because we have convictions. You know, our staff, our convictions, our staff might not all be on the same page on. That's, that's okay. We've said it's okay to disagree. It tries to creep into the essentials and that's when we have a problem. That's what happened in Acts 15. Circumcision was a conviction of a lot of the believers and they were trying to push it into the essential category. So there's an attack on unity. Recognize we're not going to agree on everything. Get the issues on the table. Then we have to make a decision and unify around it. Make a decision and unify around it. <coughs> the time for disagreement is behind closed doors in the war room. You know, if you're in a work situation, there ought to be a time and a place to get the issues on the table, to hear the different points of view. But once a decision has been made, we have to commit to be unified around it and to come out of the room on the same page. Parenting. You know, you guys deal with this. There are a lot of things Lisa and I may have discussion over. We may not necessarily agree entirely on. Actually, that's, that's an understatement. There are a lot of things we, we see from a different point of view. Uh, and it's important that we have those discussions. But when we get in front of our kids, we're going to be unified. That's why a Hershey kiss uh, was that big of a deal for me. That I just want to present a unified uh, front as, as a parent. Because when they start hearing different things from different parents, it creates division and sets us against each other. How do, we, how do we kind of make a decision uh, and, and come into agreement on a non-essential issue? Two thoughts based on the scripture. One, ask the question, what is God doing? What, what is God doing? What's he up to? <coughs> Look at verse 7 through 10. After much discussion, uh, remember they're in, this, they're in this meeting, they're talking about this issue of circumcision. After much discussion, this kind of insinuates, and we've already heard from the Pharisees, that we're hearing from everybody's point of view. Uh, so after a lot of discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, 
for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? What's Peter doing? He's referencing back to Acts chapter 11 with Cornelius. He says, hey, God, God filled them with the Holy Spirit. He accepted them. He, he empowered them without making any distinction about what they look like or you know, whether they were circumcised or not. So he says, this seems to be something that God's doing. And then Paul and Barnabas are like, dude, if it's an open mic, I'm going to talk too. So verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling them about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And they're going, guys, if you'd have been in our shoes, if you've seen what we've seen, uh, there's revival going on here. I mean, Gentiles are coming to faith like crazy. God is changing their hearts. He's filling them with the Holy Spirit. God seems to be doing something here. And so after they figured that out, they go to the second question. What has God said? What has God said? Verse 13 through 18. When they finished, James spoke up. Now, James is probably in charge. He's probably the leader. He's the head elder of the church at that time. Notice that he let them talk first. That's a huge leadership principle. Let, let, if you're trying to make a decision, let the opinions be heard. Because when a leader makes his opinion known first, it tends to stifle the conversation. Uh, so after much discussion, or when they finished, James spoke up. He said, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. What, what's he saying there? He's, he's saying, hey, we've heard testimony. We've heard some different sides of the story. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. And he opened up Amos, one of the prophets, and, and, he, and he pointed to a scripture in there that, that clearly says that, that it was God's will that Gentiles will bear his name. Gentiles will be a part of his family. <coughs> so after they kind of took a look at what God's doing, which, but have you guys ever um, gotten so wrapped up in an issue and a conflict that you forget to look at what God's doing? I know it happens to me in my marriage sometimes. Uh, we'll be fighting about an issue and then we'll just kind of at one point have to go, we're going to take a time out and let's look at the fruit. You know, I mean, our kids, other than the whole Hershey kiss thing, you know, which happens from time to time, they, the fruit seems to be that God is blessing what's going on. And, and so they, they did that. Then they looked at what God's word said about it. And then James take, took a stand. He said this in verse 19 and 20. It is my judgment. And I put the parentheses there. It says, not thus saith the Lord. Notice that he didn't say like, God said this. He said, it's my judgment. After hearing a lot of discussion and after searching the scriptures, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And at that point, a lot of 35-year-old Gentile men breathed a sigh of relief. What's he saying there? He's saying, you know what? Circumcision is, is over here, guys. It's a conviction. And for the Jewish believers, that's, that's great. We're not going to move it into this category. We're, we're, we're not going to make that a deal. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ that we're saved, and nothing else can be added to that. And I'm so thankful 
that they made that decision. What's up with the whole abstaining from food polluted by idols and the meat of string, string on animals, sexual immorality? Is he saying that those are, are salvation issues? I don't think he's saying that at all in researching it. What he's saying is, don't forget, why are we even having this discussion? It's because we have Jewish believers and we have Gentile believers. And we're different. And, and we're not going to force Jewish customs and beliefs on the Gentiles. But hey, Gentiles, you need to be respectful of your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's, it's highly offensive to them based on the way they've come up for you to eat the blood of strangled animals, especially at church. Sexual immorality. You know what, guys? You don't have a, a basis of, of convictions and core values. Uh, so your sexual sin is causing these guys to stumble. Let's, let's live together. Let's commit to unity. Let's commit to, to, to being a body that can, can live together and serve Christ together. So he's asking them to be sensitive to each other's upbringings and each other's backgrounds. So that's the, that's the message. The message is, is we have to fight for unity in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships. We've got to fight for unity. How do we fight for unity? Keep the main thing the main thing. Commit to not letting a, just as we've committed not to let this church split over non-essential beliefs, don't let a friendship dissolve over a non-essential belief. Don't let a marriage dissolve over, over a, a strong conviction, but, but a non-essential. We have to fight for unity. You know, one of the reasons we live in this country is because men and women united around an injustice that was going on, and, and, and they, they, they established this country. And this country has withstood so many great attacks and so many things. One of our darkest moments was the Civil War when we turned on each other, right? We have to fight for the unity. Unity is a powerful thing. The X factor is when we unite around the gospel. Because the gospel, the gates of hell won't, won't stand against the church. The gates of hell won't stand against the gospel. The gospel is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to change and impact lives for centuries and generations to come. So if we can unite around the gospel, I think nothing's impossible. I mean, not only in our beliefs and some of our essential beliefs, but then also in our mission. Can you imagine what would happen if just the people that are in the room at the campus or venue that you're in were willing to unite and all of us together willing to unite around a set of core values and around the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, nothing's going to stop us from being on mission, from making it. I believe that if we did, we can change the world. We're, uh, God's already changing this city, the state of South Carolina, even, even our, our region. I believe he'll continue to change the world through a group of people that are united around the gospel. And as a younger guy, I'm, I'm so thankful and grateful uh, for the, the hard work of, of the leadership that went before me and, and our generation to say, hey, these are going to be the things that we're going to unite around. And I believe if, if my generation and generations to follow will continue to say, hey, we're going to fight for unity I believe the best is yet to come for this church and in this community. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that your story, your message is one of love and pursuit of us. Lord, you have gone to such uh, great lengths, Lord, to to the extent of giving up your own son so that we could have relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that in... Uh, the history of the church, that there have been moments where uh, we can look at it and go, man, if, if that had gone differently, our whole life lives would be different. We wouldn't be worshiping here today. But Lord, that you have fought and you have protect, protected the unity of the church through the wisdom 
uh, of the leaders. And I thank you for that. I pray this church would continue to be unified. God, I also pray for those of us that are here today that uh, maybe we're in a relationship that's, Lord, division is eating us up. We've been just at each other's throats, God, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a work relationship. And Lord, if we were real honest, we'd say it's, it's really not about an essential belief. Lord, we, we, we've allowed an issue to uh, cause division. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would unite hearts and unite friendships and unite relationships all around this place today. Lord, we love you. We're committed to standing together, arm in arm in unity. Lord, and we're willing to say whatever you want us to do, we'll do. Here we are. Send us. In Jesus' name, amen.